Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. All for one and one for all. Together we stand, divided we fall. That simple and succinct sentence uttered by the now famous playwright Alexander Dumas to capture the essence of unity that comprises his most famous work yet. I'm, of course, referring to the Three Musketeers. Is what moved me to consider the issues of unity today. Now, my kids, well, my kids don't know much about Dumas, and they don't know about his protagonist, the fearless captain of the guard, protector to Louis XIV, D'Artagnan. But my kids do know about sticking together. And they know that if they are united, dear church, there is nothing they cannot achieve. So think briefly about the scene developing in my home over the past couple of months as a case in point. So my two boys... Well, my two boys think that they are organized enough, responsible enough, obedient enough to own a puppy. I disagree. And so over the past few weeks and months, a conversation like this is what's been happening at my home. Dad... Can, can I get a dog? Can you get a job? <laughs> Dad, can I get a puppy? I'll give you my allowance. Well, that's really my money, so no. <laughs> Dad, please. Nah. But you know something, and I'm sure you that have kids have understood this already well, children don't really play fair, do they? And so lately, they've decided to call into the fray my wife. (laughs) And those of you who are happily married will have realized that it's very hard to say no to your wife. 
And so the conversation has shifted a little bit. It looks something like this. Linda will walk into the room, and she'll massage my shoulders, and she'll say, finally. Finally, you have grown into the man, the father, the husband that I always thought you could be. Buy the kids a dog. And then they'll send the other one. You know the little one? He'll pop his head out. I didn't even know he's in the room. Pop his head out and say, Daddy, can you buy me a teeny puppy wheeze? Oh, how am I going to say no to that? And so very rapidly, my resolve has begun to crumble. But I am bending, not breaking. So what do they do? Well, they send the closer in, the nine-year-old. And he'll look at me straight in the eyes and he'll say, Dad, I know, I know you're as wise as Solomon. <laughs> and you're as strong as Samson. And as brave as David, I know you're as good-looking as Joseph. To which I will reply, yeah, I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> Buy me a dog. <laughs> well, after that, uh, I'd like to introduce you now to the new member of the Mendes household. She is wonderful. I know. Trust me, she's not as cute when she's eating my shoes. <laughs> Her name is Mia, and Mia is a testament to the power of working together. She lives in my home, a constant reminder that when the people of God work together, there is nothing that they can't accomplish. Last week, Pastor Joey talked to us about the first response to the discipleship practices that have served as our core principles throughout the summer. He talked about awe. Right at the outset, though, I'd like to propose to you that a church in awe is a united community. Let me say that again. A church in awe is a united community. And so, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles and turn to a passage that should be pretty familiar to us by now, because it's been the foundation of our whole sermon series. So, thumb through your text with me, and let's open it to the second book of Acts. Wait, Acts doesn't have two books. Just checking if you're awake. Acts chapter 2 and we're going to go to verses 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Now today and just for today, I want us to focus primarily on verse 44. Luke writes, All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
I'm pausing on purpose so that you allow the radical nature of Luke's words to wash over you. I want that concept to sink into your minds this afternoon. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Now think about that as we inhabit this deeply divided world. A world in which we have debates on Delta variants, mutterings about mask mandates, and even some outrage because some crazy billionaire decided to leave it all behind and shuttle off into space. This time, this season of life can be described by the separations and the silos that we have constructed. And even in the midst of that, dear church, Luke throws two words at us. And those two words should leap off the page to you. Luke says that all the believers had everything in common and were united in all things. These words see, serve as a witness about the stark reality of who we are and the dream of who God has called you to be. And the words are unity and commonality. But today, well, today you might be wondering, how is it possible that the church, this early Christian church, this experiment in unity, how is it possible that they were able to have congeniality even before they had any creeds? You know, where did it all start? Well, of all places, it starts at a pulpit. Now, Peter is preaching. And he's preaching a powerful message. He is preaching to an audience comprised of every nation, every tongue, every tribe. He's preaching to a congregation that is responsive. And that particular church has driven Peter to be carried away in his oratory. Now, how do I know the preacher has been carried away? Well, listen how he closes. Listen to Peter's altar call in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all you Gentiles whom the Lord our God will call. It's a wonderful promise, right? The church united from every crevice and every crack of the known world, coming together to bask in the newness of the gospel, it's a moving picture. Well, that's why it's so disconcerting that a few weeks or months later, Peter's in Galatia, 
And he's in Galatia, eating and fellowshipping with Gentiles. And then he hears that a delegation from Jerusalem is coming to check out the church. And immediately he takes Barnabas and the other Christian Jews, and he eats at a separate table. So which one is it, Peter? Is God calling every nation, every tribe, every people? Is the Spirit pushing us and driving us towards unity? Or is the invitation to create separate tables? Let's not too be, be too hard on Peter, shall we? You know, Peter has understood what I'm sure many of us have grappled with. And that is that it's always easier to preach than it is to do. I mean, it's easy to talk about unity. It's far different, far more complicated way more challenging to live out unity. And so if the Loma Linda University Church is going to be a united church, we should perhaps come to terms with the first thing that Peter recognizes at the very outset of the history of Christendom. And that is this. It is easier to love my own people than it is to partake of a love that creates a people. It is always easier to love my own people than it is to partake of a love that creates a people. But make no mistake about it, God has called us whether you work at the medical center, whether you come to school at the university, whether you simply are part of our community, God has called us from every nation, every tribe, every tongue in order to build something new. God is creating a new people here in the Loma Linda University Church. So how do I resist the temptation to love my own people in order to participate in this new creation that God is inviting me to. Hmm. Maybe we should ask Philip. Not, not Pastor Phil. Philip. Of the one, the one in the book of Acts the one who receives a message from an angel. And the angel tells him to go to the desert, a desolate space that is no place at all. Church, has God ever invited you to go to a desolate place? Maybe when you were thinking about where to work or where, where to settle, where to raise a family, and you heard this, this name of a town in, in the Inland Empire, the armpit of California, 
Loma Linda. And you said to yourself, this is desert, and it's desolate. And God is calling you here. And as Philip moves into this space, he is met by a chariot. And on the chariot, well, on the chariot, you find an Ethiopian. Now, just a a note for you all. In the ancient Near East, the term Ethiopian was used primarily to describe someone from the very confines of the known world. So to say you were an Ethiopian meant that you were from a place that if you stepped just one more step out, you would fall into the abyss. It's kind of like the modern equivalent of Texas. So if, if, if you don't see me next week, you all know why. But you have this man right from the furthest corner of the empire. And he's not just an Ethiopian, he's also a eunuch. And Luke will tell us that this eunuch has gone to Jerusalem to participate unsuccessfully, I might add, in the worship service of the temple. He would have, he would have come to the outer courts And he would have knocked at the door, and he would have been greeted by a text. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. No eunuch shall have a place in the assembly of the Lord. And he would have been turned away. That's tragic, isn't it? I mean, it's tragic when we use Scripture to turn each other away. It's tragic when we use Scripture to separate and to isolate and to divide. So, heartbroken, he's on his way back. And as he rides... He is thumbing through the pages of Scripture. He is moving through the books, dear church, because he is desperate to try and find his story in in these pages. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you, honestly, how many times have you or I done this? How many times have you opened the Bible desperate to find your story in its pages? And then when you find the text, when you find the tale, when you find the story, you pull out your red pen, you underline it, you highlight it, and you say, there I am. Oh, the eunuch is desperate. And the Spirit, well, the Spirit will propel Philip to do his best Usain Bolt impression and run, run after the chariot. Because the Spirit of unity 
The spirit of unity, church, will never leave us alone with a text. The Loma Linda University Church believes, we believe in the practice of communal Bible study because we hold true that no one, no one should be left alone with the text. So he hops on to the chariot and is greeted by a question because the eunuch is reading the prophet Isaiah and he asks, tell me, is the prophet speaking about himself or about someone else? There's this question. And Philip, ever the evangelist, knows that questions represent opportunities, opportunities to extract confessions. There's always this amazing space that exists between question and confession. And the problem is that sometimes we fill those spaces between question and confession with discussion. You know, when's the last time that you went to a Bible study and somebody brought a question up that only created division? Or maybe you've approached someone from a different faith tradition and you've told them, well, you've told them a question that is intended to engineer some distance and separation. Ah, Philip knows. Philip knows that the way in which you fill the spaces between questions and confessions is not with discussion, but rather with conversation. And so he tells him. He tells him the story of Jesus. And then what happens? Well, what happens is what always happens to your church when we fill the space between question and confession with conversation, and that is we witness transformation. Because the truth of the matter is that faith will always find the water. If faith will always find the water, there is water here, says the eunuch. What prevents me from being baptized? Point number two, if we're trying to truly build a united church, then we need to learn the truth. Well, the truth that Philip learns on that chariot, and this, that is this. Before you share your own truth, you must first listen. Before you share your own truth, you must first listen. Because, because the spirit of the God of unity, that spirit that transformed the church, well, that spirit is always pushing us forward. It's always moving us out. How far out? How far out, you may ask? Well, let's look at Peter. And Peter is staying at this house. 
And he's really uncomfortable, friends. He's uncomfortable because he's a Jew. And he is the guest of a tanner. Now, up until this week, I thought that a tanner was somebody that could achieve this wonderful bronze glow. But actually, a tanner is someone that works with All of you think that tanning is about bronzing, but no, I thank you back there. Somebody said a tanner is somebody that works with leather. So Simon, well, Simon is invested in this enterprise, working with skin and animals and flesh. And Peter is uncomfortable, and so he retreats. He does what most of us do when we're uncomfortable. He goes to pray. And the windows in his room are open. And he catches a glimpse, a scent, really, of the sea salt. The sea salt that the shore is bringing in in that port city of Joppa. And then that scent of salt mixes with the smell of skin and flesh And I guess Peter wasn't a vegetarian because he gets hungry. He thinks it's time for barbecue. And God makes to send a sheet. I know that the vision isn't about eating, but listen to the words in Acts chapter 10. Kill and eat. And Peter is so committed to his own identity. He is so committed to his divisions. He is so committed to his way of experiencing life that three times he rejects the proposition. He says, I can't do it, God. But God never leaves us there, does he? And finally, Peter acquiesces, and no sooner has he decided to understand that nothing is unclean, that he hears a knock at the door. He opens the door, and it's a delegation, not from a tanner, but from a Roman centurion, from a man that wields power, a person that represents the might of the state, an individual that's an aspiration to all of us who might be seduced by this idea of controlling delegations and being powerful. But here's the thing about Cornelius, the man we meet in Acts chapter 11. He's also an anomaly. Now, Cornelius is a God-fearer. And Peter will go to his house And again, faith always finds water. The same spirit, the same spirit that fell on the apostles at Pentecost now falls upon Cornelius. And he begins to speak in tongues. 
and something has changed for Peter. We live in a society. We live in a society that champions change. Don't like your car? Get a new one. Don't like your boyfriend? Dump him. Don't like your wife? Make sure you sign a prenup. We love this idea of change. But what I find so moving about the story in Acts chapter 11, friends, is that change isn't the compass. Change needs a compass. Change cannot be the compass for our lives, but change needs a compass. And what is the compass that drives Peter from this idea of life as separate tables to life eating with Cornelius? Maybe we should ask Paul. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul, the same one who pens those words, I have become all things too. and the preacher waits for the congregation to engage, I have become all things to all people. Well, how serious was Paul about this ideal? How serious was Paul about the notion of unity serving as the compass for change? When well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul talks about the things he has suffered for the gospel. And Paul says that on four occasions, the Jews, yes, the Jews, have flogged them 40 times minus one. Paul had a flair for the dramatic because it's easier to say, I got whipped 39 times on four different occasions. But the question is, why? And the answer to that question is this. If you were a Jew that went to a Gentile's home, whether it's a tanner or a centurion, and they wanted to go back in the synagogue, you had to pay a price. And the admission ticket back into the synagogue was 39 lashes. So this is what Paul is saying. I am so serious about my devotion to unity that I will be flogged for the Gentiles and I will allow myself to experience pain for the Jews. Well, with that compass as your true north, you cannot get lost, or can you? It was a single item agenda on the church board. It was a delegation that had come from Antioch. The one question on the docket was this, should we give full status 
to Gentiles that have confessed Christ, or do we need circumcision? It's the first church council, and the story is recounted in painful detail in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. Is Christian confession enough, or do they need circumcision? Ah, Peter runs to the lectern, picks up the first mic and says, hey, you know what, friends? I've seen the Spirit. I've seen the Spirit fall on Cornelius, on his delegation. I've heard about eunuchs who are finding their own story because make no mistake about it, that eunuch found his tale in this book. Because in that same book of Isaiah where Philip tells them about the Messiah, there is another chapter, another chapter with this beautiful promise that says, no longer shall the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. For I, the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, I will give a name greater than that of sons and daughters. God knows the eunuch's name. And Cornelius might not know who God is, but God knows Cornelius' name, and Peter is picking up that same passion, that same crescendo that he had all the way back in chapter 2. But you know the secret. You know the secret to church board meetings. Whoever talks more usually gets the vote. And so Paul and Barnabas rush the stage. They pick up the mic and they say, we have seen it happen. Signs and wonders, the same signs and wonders, I might add, that Pastor Joey talked about last week, those signs and wonders that left the church in awe, we have seen those signs and wonders at work among the Gentiles. But then, then a murmur and a rumble at the back of the auditorium, the delegation of the circumcision, the Pharisees who had now converted to Christianity rushed the mic. In a desperate attempt to domesticate difference, because let's face it, we talk about unity, but we sure like to domesticate difference. We want you to be different, but not too much. And why? Why do these Jews try to domesticate difference? Because they're afraid. And when we try to enact unity to, through fear, we end up in isolation. They say to themselves, if we lose circumcision, we will lose our identity. We're afraid. And the real tragic part of the story, church, is that at that moment they have failed to realize what the Spirit has always been doing. All the way back in Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost occurs, what God is doing is, in essence, a reversal of Babel. You know the story in Genesis? A group of people gathered together. They were afraid. 
They spoke the same language, wanted to build a tower to reach up to heaven because they were comfortable there, because they were comfortable, isolated, separated, in their own cluster, in their own building. And so they said, let's build bigger, let's build better. And what did God do? God came down and confused their language because the work of disciples isn't to stay in the building. The work of disciples isn't to be the keepers of the aquarium. The work of disciples is to go out and fish. Go out into the world, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, but the Jerusalem party is scared scared of losing their identity, their uniqueness, scared of, you, scared of losing their sense of remnant people, scared of losing those practices that set them apart from all other Christians. Stop me when this sounds familiar. And so what we end up with is isolation. That pastor and preacher, master of the pulpit, Fred Craddock, when reflecting upon this particular text, probably puts it more beautifully than I could ever hope to do. Craddock writes, the real problem? Well, the real problem isn't that Christians disagreed with one another. The issue is that individual Christians disagreed with themselves. Their hearts were torn. And sometimes when we lash out against someone, the reason for the ferocity of the attack is that I am at war with myself. And when I am at war with myself, my tendency, my tendency is to make casualties even of people I love. Don't you think it's time? Don't you think it's time that the Loma Linda University Church, the Adventist Church, dare I say the Christian Church, set its weapons down? and declare a cease of hostilities with this internal war that we have. For far too many casualties lay on the grounds of Glacier View and San Antonio. We're hurting the very people we love. This might have been at the back of James' head. In his mind, as he remembers those long conversations he had with his brother, the one who the church now calls the Messiah. Because if you read Acts chapter 15 carefully, you will realize that it is James who does this masterful artwork of weaving together a quilt in which the story of Gentiles appears in this book from the very beginning. James quotes the prophet Amos. And in doing so, firmly entrenches 
every tongue, every nation, every spirit into the story of God and his people. Because James is operating with a particular philosophy. It's a philosophy that is echoed in the words of the French scientist Louis Pasteur. Pasteur writes that when one suffers, we don't ask them what your country is or what your religion is. We simply say, you suffer. And that is enough for me. You belong to me, and I will take care of you. Here's the truth of the matter. The only body capable of taking all of our bodies with our different marks is the body of Christ. So what principle can we apply to get there? Well, perhaps we would do well resurrecting that adage from old. And the one that states, the one that states that on essentials we are called to exhibit unity. On non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. But you might still be asking, and what are those essentials? What are those essentials to which God is calling me as I am united with him? Well, let's ask Paul. Paul, the one who suffered for Gentiles and was harmed for Jews. Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Because the only body capable of taking all of our bodies in is the body of Christ. So today, as we have been doing throughout this series, we want to ask, Actually, ask isn't the right word. We want to demand something from you. It won't cost much, but it'll make a difference. We want to plead that you give us five minutes, just five minutes of your time, starting today. Today, at 2.42, we are going to join together in prayer. We're going to do so for five minutes, and we're going to be praying for one thing specifically, that that same spirit of unity that was able to bury all differences in the early church descend on the Loma Linda University Church now. Five minutes. But we don't want you to pray alone. We don't want you to pause in the middle of your hectic schedule and say it's time to pray. We want to pray with you. And so when you came in, you received a piece of paper like this. And on that piece of paper, you will have find a number. 
The area code is 909-361-6220. We're going to ask you to dial that number today at 242. And to continue doing so for the next week. When you enter that number on your phone, you will be prompted to type in a code. And the code that will grant you access to this communal prayer is the address of our church. If you don't know the address of our church, that means you've been coming to church through Google Maps. So shame on you. But the, the code that you will be prompted to enter is 11125. So you dial 909 for those of you who are at home, 361-6220. And then you enter the ID code 11125. Our prayer is that wherever you are, today and throughout the week, in whatever enterprise you have immersed yourself, you may stop and maybe even invite somebody to pray. Say, look, my church has, has this crazy idea that the same spirit that changed the world all that time ago can shift the way we operate today. Can you stop with me and pray? We also want to know what God is doing in your life. So if something happened that you weren't expecting, if this God that changed the world and that united every nation, every tongue, every tribe, if that God is doing something in your life, we want to know about it. So you can log on to our website, louc.org, and there's a QR code there. I don't know what a QR code they tell, is. They tell me it looks like something that you can scan with your phone. And when you scan that, it'll take you to a form. Fill out that form. We want to know what God is doing in your life. But more importantly than that, we want to affirm the greatest truth that we will ever learn, and that is this. In Him, today, the Spirit of truth calls us to recognize that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And may that, may that reality bind you together. Let us pray. So today, Lord, we understand that it's easier to love our own people than it is to partake of a love that creates a people. Father, we recognize that before we share our truth, it's important to listen. And that Christ can be our only compass. We bow in your presence as you remind us that the only body capable of taking us all in is your body. So may you do something new in our lives we have come to this desolate place hoping that you will do something new. Won't you descend upon us now? Won't you bury the divisions, the discourse, the, the diatribes, and the debates? Won't you have us engage in the art of conversation 
so that we may speak each other's language better. Won't you live in this church so that we may become a faithful witness of what you have called us to be? Won't you grant us the, co- the capacity to realize that when the people of God work together, there is no limit to what we can do in your name. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.